Whatever else I may do from the pulpit to be uh, real, to be honest, because there's simply no kingdom value found in pretense. And what's real this morning is that I've struggled with uh, this message this morning uh, more than I think I've ever struggled with a message before. What's, what's real is that I've got a sermon here on the New Age. And uh, it's a good sermon. It really is. I, I, I read two books this week on, on it. And I, I've... Uh, my background's in it. I've got some education there behind it. And I feel secure with it. It seems like a safe thing. And it's an important, important message. But what's also real... And I wish I could avoid this. But what's also real is I feel like it's for next week. What a situation. What's real in my gut? And I've been struggling with this. When, when Dave called Tuesday I, you know, to find out what I'm going to be preaching on, I said, I think I'm supposed to be preaching on the New Age, but, but here's where my heart's at. My heart's about yielded. My heart's about yielding to God. That's where my heart... And there's been that conflict all week long, and it's been here this morning. I feel led to go in a different direction. Just to, go in a, just to step out and go in a completely different direction. And, and this is safe. This is secure. I've got a PhD that can, I can fall back on. I won't run out of words on this thing. But if I go this route, I'm not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> I appreciate that. If what I said last week, uh, last week we talked about needing the reality of God and moving in the Spirit, walking where, where it's real, and not just being about a Joe Shadow religion. And if that has any kind of cash value at all, it's time to be demonstrated here this morning, so I really have no choice, but to follow uh, an impulse of my Spirit. You may think, well, how do you know it's the will of God? And that's the scariest thing, is I'm never sure it's the will of God. Some people just are cocksure when that when God speaks to them, they, 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 they know it's God. And God says this, and God shows me this, and God does that. And it's never that clear for me. For me, it's kind of a subtle impression. And as I grow in the Lord, I'm learning how to recognize it. And as I grow in the Lord, I'm learning how to yield to it. But I squelch it an awful lot. I quench the Spirit an awful lot to go with what seems proper, what seems ordinary, and what seems safe. But if what I said last week is, is, is at all true, then I've got to follow that. That prompting. And just believe that God, even if I'm making a mistake, God will honor it. And I appreciate you telling me to go for it. I don't want to go for it alone. If anything has kingdom value in this ministry, it's because of prayer. And so when I go into this, I, I, I want some prayer support. In fact, this is a new thing. We're talking about new things uh, this morning. And I, I'd like to get several people who would just tell me that they're going to pray for me. I, I, I'd like to get two people in every corner of the room that will just tell me that they'll be praying for this sermon while I'm preaching it because I don't want to do this alone. Can I get two people in this section? Okay, i got about four or five. Just be praying for the message as I'm delivering it. And you may think that you won't get anything out of the message if you're praying for it, but in fact, you'll find you get more. And can I get two or three people up there who would just tell me, thank you, that you'll be praying for me during the sermon? And, and can I get a couple of people in this area? Okay, thanks. Okay, I got it all over. All right, I feel good. I'm not alone. Okay, let's, let's pray and be praying for me during this that the Lord would, would say what He wants to say. Lord, I feel like Peter's stepping out of a boat. And uh, just... It's a, little, it's a little scary for me uh, to 
go in this direction, Lord, but I have this thing on my heart, and I can't put words to it just yet, but I believe it's there from you. And I pray, God, we pray, Lord, that your word would occur here this morning. And your word occurs, Lord, not when we do it according to our plan or according to our schedule, according to our agenda. Your word occurs when even we, with, with stumbling lips and stuttering sentences and disjointed thoughts, when your spirit infuses that, Lord, the word occurs. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would occur here this morning. Do what you want to do, Lord God, and it's a new thing. You're moving us in a new direction. Have your way here this morning. Amen. The passage that I've had on my mind is the one that Paul chose to read this morning that I had no idea that he was going to read. But on Friday morning, we were praying together, and the Lord gave me this, this scripture, and I turned to it, and I read it, and it just, it just hit us, and apparently it really hit, hit Paul too. The verse says this. It's from Isaiah 42. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Apparently it's possible to not perceive the new thing that God's doing. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The new thing that the Lord told Isaiah He was going to do is to create streams, a wellspring in the middle of the desert to show that He is the Lord and there is none else. We're coming to a very important time in the life of this church uh, I, I feel like it's stage two. I feel like we're going from an infancy to a toddler stage. Or I feel like we're going from a, uh, a, a honeymoon period into a marriage. Whatever analogy you want. And the impression that I have is that God has something, a new thing in store for us. But I also... And it's exciting for me. It's, 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 a, it's a great sense of anticipation, and I've got October in my mind, and I don't know why, but that's my, my feeling, that like God has something really incredible in store for us. Beyond what we've done before, beyond our expectations, beyond our capabilities, He's got something new in store. But I also know that that's going to take a lot of stretching on our part. A lot of new visioning on our part. A lot of new thinking on our part. And that's not easy. We're, we're, we're going to be discussing... Uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, the uh, advisory board and Paul and I will be discussing the constitution of the church. And uh, we're, we're now forming a lot of the programs and laying the groundwork for a lot of the ministries of this church. And we're beginning to be solidified. And that is a wonderful thing to see happen. But that's why I feel it's so crucial that we have the Lord's input as we're in this formative stage of our church. God wants to do a new thing. There's another passage that I have in my mind. It's from Matthew uh, chapter 9 or 10, where the Lord says you can't pour old wine or new wine into old wineskins. And I've had that on my mind too the last couple days. The, pass the, 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 the passage that, where Jesus says that, here's what's going on. Jesus is sitting down at the table with the kind of people that he usually hung around with. He was sitting down with a tax collector and he was sitting down with a couple of prostitutes and he was sitting down with, with some of the beggars and some of the rejects and some of the, the uh, uh, outcasts that, that populated the streets of Galilee and Nazarene. And these were the people that Jesus hung around with. And he's eating supper with them, which in Jewish culture is the most intimate form of fellowship you can have. It's Jesus' way of saying, these are my closest friends. 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious hobnobbed and the snub-nosed people of the time came by and, and they looked at Jesus having supper with all of these rejects, with the scum of the earth, these non-religious people, and they were kind of indignant. They were ticked off. And so they came to Jesus and they said, Why do you hang around with the likes of these? Are you not a religious rabbi? Are you not a holy man? Aren't you someone that people are supposed to look up to? You give all this kind of teaching, and then you go and ruin your reputation, and frankly, it kind of shows on us as well. You undermine the profession when you go around hanging, hanging around with people like this. A Mary Magdalene! Why do you do that? And then they added, as long as we're on religious topics, here's another thing we want to know. You can read this in, in, in Matthew chapter 9. Why is it that we fast a lot, and the disciples of John the Baptist fast a lot, and anybody who's worth their religious salt fasts a lot, and they let people know it. They fast. That's what they do. I'm fasting. But you and your disciples and your vagabond bunch of friends, you guys never fast. We never see you fasting. And Jesus gives this very strange reply. He says, first of all, when the bridegroom is with the wedding party, you celebrate. It's not the time when you fast. But then he adds this strange saying. You can't pour. You can't pour new wine into old wineskin. And I'm sure that they just sort of scratched themselves and said, what on earth is he talking about? But from our perspective, it's very clear. Jesus wasn't answering their question, but he was telling them why they had the question. Jesus was explaining to them why it is that these religious Pharisees, that these Sadducees, these hobnob official religious people couldn't get what Jesus was about. And the reason they couldn't get what Jesus was about, and the reason why they couldn't understand his teaching, and the reason why they couldn't understand his manners is because you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. You see, it begins to, fer it begins to ferment, or, or uh, uh, what's the word for when it gets... Ferment. It begins to ferment. And that's going to bust the old wineskins. You can't contain it. You can't contain new wine and old wineskin. And so what the Lord is really saying here is this. You Pharisees, you've got an old wineskin theology of what a Messiah is supposed to look, out, look like. You've got an old wineskin tradition about what a rabbi is supposed to look like. But God's doing a new thing. He's showing His love in a new way. He's showing His grace and His power in a new way. And the Messiah has come is a new kind of Messiah, one that outruns your expectations, one that doesn't fit into your nice, neat religious categories, one that can't be put in your box, and that's why you're not getting it. That's why you're not a part of the kingdom of God that's happening here. And you have got a, a pretty clear idea about what it is to be holy, and what it is to be righteous, and you've got the rules, and you've got the regulations, and you've got the mandates, the kind of things that Dave sung about. You've got that all down so pat, so nice, so tidy, and it pampers you, and it makes you feel good about yourself, and it puts you in a position where you can stroke yourself and judge others. But for that very reason, because of that old wineskin theology, you're not seeing the new thing that God's doing. The new thing that God's doing is... He's doing it with people like Mary Magdalene, and he's doing it like, with people like Matthew, the tax collector, and he's doing it with these blind beggars, and he's doing it with these lepers. He's creating a river in the desert. It's a new thing that God's doing. In the desert of Mary Magdalene's prostitution, sin-stained life, God's creating a river of holiness. And in the desert of Matthew, the tax collector, stealing in ungodly ways, God's creating a river of grace. And in the desert of the lives of these people who have been rejected in every possible way, God's creating a river of acceptance. God's creating a river in the desert. He's creating new life in lives that didn't have 
life. He's creating a river of hope in lives that were despair and, and rivers of joy in lives that had been prone with depression. He's, he's doing a new thing. He's given a new kind of righteousness. It's called grace. It's for free. And you get it by believing. Period. You give it free from strive. You get it free from striving. It's a new thing that God's doing. Taking a sinner like Greg Boyd and saying, I'm going to make him righteous. There, he's righteous. I'm going to make him holy. There, he's holy. That's a new thing. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. You can't put it into ordinary categories. But the Pharisees and the religious people and religious people to this day still sometimes don't get that because they've got God in a box. They've got their own little categories, their own theology, their little tiny wineskins, and they can't see what God is doing. Because it just doesn't make sense to them. It just doesn't make sense to them. We have felt from the beginning that God's doing a new thing here. It, it's, uh, he wants to do a new thing. Not a whole lot of churches have a senior pastor that hardly ever preaches and a preacher that hardly does anything else. Uh, it's just, it's a new thing. He's pulling together people from really different backgrounds. I was talking to a couple last night about this. It just blows me away the kind of backgrounds we've got. We have got uh, chandelier swinging charismatics on the one side, and we've got Bob Jones University Baptist on the other side, and they both like the place. Figure it! <laughs> it just... But I really believe that the stretching has just begun. I really believe in, in, my, in my, my, my heart of hearts that the new thing God wants to do is going to blow our wineskins away because it's new wine. He wants to move us in ways that we can't begin to fathom. And some of that's going to be confrontational. You know, whenever Jesus operated in the Spirit, whenever he was doing Kingdom of God stuff, he always confronted religious authorities. The toughest old wineskin in the world is religious old wineskin. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath, you'd think that people would be praising God and worshiping God, and most of the people were, but the, but the Pharisees, the religious hobnobbers, they were mad. Why were they mad? Because they had a tradition that they wrote that on the Sabbath you're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to lift a finger. And healing, technically speaking now, is doing something, and therefore Jesus is wrong to heal a, a man who all of his life had a withered hand. He's wrong to do that. They were mad because it didn't fit their box. It didn't fit their, 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 their regime, their agenda. And it was a threat to them. And Jesus one time healed a blind man in, in John chapter 9. And you think that uh, they'd be praising God, worshiping God. What a miracle, what a great thing. But they didn't even see the miracle. They didn't even see the new, the new wine that God was pouring out. What they saw was that Jesus didn't have anyone's permission to do this. You see, they had a rule that says if you're going to do any kind of religious work, and this technically speaking now is a religious work, you've got to get, authority. You've got to get under someone's authority. You've got to get a permission slip. You've got to put it through the proper committees. How many churches... Does God want to move in an incredible way? The Spirit tries to move in an incredible way. God starts to do a new thing. But someone in a religious authority position gets threatened by the whole thing and puts a lid on it. And that's exactly what was going on there. I got reamed out one time by a deacon of a church because the Lord kind of did something unusual and, and there were some people that were getting a little bit emotional and that's just not the way we do things around here. And who do you think you are? Coming in here and getting people worked up like it was me getting the people worked up. 
Wherever Jesus moved, he was breaking old wineskins. And even after he ascended into heaven and began to pour forth new wine, that broke old wineskins. It broke old religious wineskins. The day of Pentecost, here all these Jewish disciples are in an upper room, and God pours forth his spirit, and a rushing mighty wind comes, and they got fire on their heads, and they begin to speak in other languages. It's not exactly synagogue protocol. It's not the kind of thing you'd have on a liturgy, but there God is. He doesn't care much for liturgies. He doesn't care if he gets people's permission. If he wants to do it, he does it, even if it means bursting old wineskins. And then Peter stands up and preaches a sermon that wasn't prepared. Amen. And 3,000 people get saved. Not exactly your ordinary, everyday kind of religious stuff. There God's doing a new thing. And in fact... He creates the whole Christian church out of a bunch of fishermen and a bunch of sinners and it, it creates a force by the turn of the century that's a major force in the world and is the dominant force in the world today. That's a new thing. That's a river in the desert. That's a miracle that God is taking, taking people who have nothing to offer on their own and saying, now I want to raise up something of my own, making something of my own creation. I want to pour forth my new wine, my spirit, my love, my joy, my power, and glorify myself by creating this new thing in the desert of their lives. Whenever God moves, he breaks old wineskins. And the question that I've got to ask myself and the question that I have in my heart to ask this is, is this. What are some of the wineskins that maybe we've got in our life? God is as big as our perception of him will allow him to be to us. I don't know if that made any sense. God, God will be no bigger to us than what our vision of him allows to have happen. And a lot of times we don't even know we've got those blinders on, like the Pharisees. They didn't know that they had blinders. They weren't intentionally saying, here's our box and you know, nothing else is going to happen. It just was there. It was just part of their grid. The only limitation that can possibly put up, be put on God in terms of our life is the limitation we put on God by our expectations, by our limitations, by our old ways of thinking. You're not supposed to go following a, a whim, a, this, this feeling you said you had in your stomach, and, and, and put aside your 20 hours of preparation and go out on a limb and just start preaching, winging from your pants. That's not what's supposed to happen. Box, limitation, wineskin. Who says God can't do that? I wouldn't want to make it a standard practice. But if God wants to move in that way, why not? Not supposed to get too excited in church. You're not supposed to get too emotional in church. You're not supposed to get too carried away in church. For the Lord's sake, don't go raising your hands. That's not the kind of thing we do. And, and you got to know that, that Baptists don't speak in tongues, you know. And, 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 and the time of, of 3,000 people getting saved uh, in, in a sermon, that's gone. And the time of God healing people, that's gone. We may sing about it, but we don't really expect it to happen. The time for God to transform lives is gone. This idea about sensing the Spirit of God, come on, let's get real here. Let's be practical. Let, let, let's, let's just do church the way the book's to do church the way the programs say to do church, the way the Ross Perot theological charts say to do church. Let's stick with what works. Well, now you look at the chart here. Can you want church growth? Here's how you do it. Da -da -da -da. I, I want to apologize to all the, what do they call them, perotistas or whatever. I, I didn't mean to make fun of him. Actually, I, 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 to my mind, a politician who's, who, who's ugly has already got something in my favor. I mean, I, I, I like that. It's the good-looking politicians that I'm afraid of. So, All right. Boxes that we have. Old wineskins that we have. It's the one thing that keeps this new wine from coming into our life. 
what I feel, and you know, the way this thing is going is not how anyone would have planned. It's not how, how it may have looked, and sometimes it's a little bit unsettling. I, to be honest, uh, have trouble getting a grip on this. I, 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 you know, it's, and I know Paul feels this way too. It's like, what's going on here? Come on, Lord, what are you doing? And what's all these different people? Da, da, da. How is this going to work? How is it going to, you know, give us a plan. And we feel like we're chasing after God. He's way ahead of us. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing because if God's not leading you, that means you're leading God and you're not as big as God. You've got a little box. And that means God's only going to be able to do what you allow him to do. But I think one of the things that the Lord is doing here is saying, throw off the boxes. Throw out the old wineskins. Get rid of the Baptist boxes of theology that we put God in. And get rid of the Pentecostal boxes that we put God in. Pentecostals have boxes too. And get rid of the Catholic boxes that we put God in. And the Charismatic and the Methodist and the Presbyterian. Get rid of all the boxes. Get rid of the wineskins. Because you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. It's going to burst. Get rid of all the limitations and let God be God. Start from scratch. Erase the chalkboard. Say, give us a new picture. You draw the diagram. You show, what it's gonna, show us what it's going to look like. Just be God because, Lord, we want your new wine. We're tired of the old stuff, tired of the old wineskins. They don't work anymore. We want your new wine. We're thirsty for your new wine. And there's nothing as refreshing and as, as, as invigorating, as replenishing, as transforming, and as spiritually intoxicating as God's wine. I hope I'm not offending uh, people from AA here. They're, they're getting thirsty as I'm preaching. <laughs> it's a biblical metaphor. <laughs> Let's go out after church and have a drink. You know? Paul says, be drunk in the Spirit. Be drunk in the Spirit. Be drunk in the Spirit of God. And we want that new wine. And, and, and it may not look like we would ever expect it to look. It may not even look like a church. It maybe will look more like some kind of a, a hospital or maybe it will look like a corporation. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want it and you want it and we're thirsty for it. But what it takes is getting rid of the old wineskins. Every, every area in my life where I've ever grown, it's come because something I thought was true. God burst something I thought was true and gave me some new wine. And even God bursts what I thought about myself and gave me a new sense of self. That's how growth comes. And some of us are here this morning in a desert experience of religion, like Dave talked about. Some of us are in a desert experience of failed marriages, desert experience of parental conflict, desert experience of self-condemnation, or a desert experience of doubt. And what you want to know, what you need to know is that God wants to do a new thing. He wants to create a river in that desert. And you may, like Dave said, feel kind of outcast, kind of downtrodden, kind of outside the kingdom of God, not quite fit, not quite owning up to, the, to what a church should have, feeling kind of distant from God and distant from the people of God because your life is so parched, it's so dry. But that is a beautiful position to be in because now God can create a river there. When you come to the end of yourself, that's when we're most prone to say, Lord, start it over. Make me a new creation. Start it from scratch. Build it up the way you want it to look. Build the marriage. Pour the new wine of your love into this marriage and pour the new wine of your power into my, in my addiction and pour your new wine of acceptance into my downtrodden heart and pour your new wine of love and the new wine of your spirit and the new wine of your grace into my life and change me around and get rid of anything that would ever begin to be an obstacle to that. And so it is with the church as a whole. He wants to do a new thing. And it means getting rid of old wineskins. 
Here's the closer. Getting rid of old wineskins can hurt. Because when your identity, if your identity is in these old wineskins, if that's who you are, if that's what gives you strokes, if that's what's worked for you in the past, you see getting rid of that as a threat. And it feels unsafe. It, feels, it can feel like death. Some of you have had that experience. It feels like death. Because you've always done it this way, and it's just is who you are, and it just seems so right. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified daily, but it's not me who lives now. It's Christ who lives within me. Because he's got new wineskins. And God creates a river of life in the desert of his life. It means being broken. It means being yielded. One of the things is I'm, I, I'm sensing all this week I've had these radar things going off. I have this tremendous excitement about what God wants to do here in the fall. I, I, and I have no picture for what that's supposed to look like, but, but I have an excitement there. But at the same time, if I'm real with you, I'll tell you that I've got a fear. I've got a fear. Because I know that that means being broken. I know that it's going to mean getting rid of some old wineskins in my life. I know it's going to mean being stretched beyond what I'm capable of. I know for Paul it's going to mean being broken. And that's a painful thing. But it's the only way it can happen. For the advisory board and for others in, in, in leadership positions, it's going to mean being broken. Throwing out old wineskins and letting God do what he wants to do. And for every person in this, in this church, whether you've been a part of it, this is your first Sunday morning, as the Lord leads you, let him lead you. And, and for those who have been here three weeks, or those who have been here three months, or those who have been here the whole nine months that we've been around, if you're invested in this ministry, it's going to mean, to some degree, being broken. And that's what the Bible means by sacrifice. That's what the Bible means by sacrifice. The question is, are we willing to lay down our life and say, God, you do it your way. You do it your way. Start from scratch. Here's how I want to end this morning. I would like, I would like the advisory board, all those who are here, and all those in, in lead, team, team leadership positions to come up here on, on the pulpit. Would you just right now stand up and come? Oh, yeah, the, the advisory board, they, they don't come to church. Uh, they just go to the meetings. <laughs> those in leadership, other leadership positions come forward. Yeah, just come on up here. And here's what I want to do. Daryl, would you get on the keyboard and pray and play uh, while you pray, Jesus, Lord, to me. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, to me. And I like to do this. This is not standard protocol. You caught us on a weird Sunday, okay? Um, but I'd like us all to stand. And in fact, I'd like us, you don't have to do that. You can sit if you want. No one has to do anything. But if you would like to stand and come as far forward as you can, and I would like us as a church to just spend five minutes or however long, <laughs> praying, laying ourselves before the Lord and just saying, Lord, do what you want to do. And those of you in these leadership positions, if you feel led to pray, go to the microphone and lead the entire congregation in prayer. And let's just do this for a minute or two.